All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're talking all about the Falcons 2021 red zone struggles, why Kyle Pitts only had one touchdown this past season and why the offensive line improving plays a pivotal role in the team getting better in the red zone in 2022. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, now free and available on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel, where you can usually catch the show most weeknights a few hours earlier before the audio drops. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is going to be all about the Falcons red zone offense. And in my year in positional review of the tight end position and, and, you know, talking about Kyle Pitts and, and some of the things that he wasn't necessarily able to quite achieve in his historic rookie season. One of the rabbit holes I went down was going back and looking through the red zone. And I realized that, you know, rather than devoting five minutes of that episode um, and, and dragging on that episode, it, Let's do a full deep dive on that uh, for an entire episode. And that's what we're going to do today. We will talk about sort of specifically uh, Pitts's misusage or whatever the case may be uh, in, in the red zone a little bit later. But first, I want to sort of give you an overview of the Falcons red zone performance in 2021, and it wasn't particularly good. They finished 24th in red zone efficiency, converting 54 percent of their 54 red zone trips into touchdowns. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily always that rough uh, by the bye week, you know, through those first uh, five games, uh, the Falcons ranked eighth in red zone efficiency, converting 69% of their red zone trips. And basically shortly after their bye week and starting really with that Cowboys game, uh, the Falcons really hit sort of a rough patch uh, thereafter um, and through the rest of the season and outside of a couple of games, uh, mainly the Jaguars and Lions games. I wonder why uh, they were able to successfully convert all their red zone trips in those two games, you know, five times combined. But outside of those two, uh, that two games, it, you know, starting with the Dallas game and finishing the season, their red zone conversion rate was just 32 percent, which is pretty much atrocious. The worst red zone efficiency in the league last year was the Giants and they converted 45 percent. So the Falcons were significantly worse than the worst red zone team in the majority of their games in the second half of the season. Um, and obviously we recognize that red zone efficiency can be potentially a deciding factor in games. Looking back over the last five seasons combined, you know, about 27%. So almost a third of uh, NFL games are decided by four points or less. And, you know, a conversion in a red zone can mean the difference between three and seven points. And so therefore potentially, you know, one or so successfully converted red zone trip in a game, you know, over the course of a season could wind up, you know, being a four or five win swing uh, in, in that regard. So, you know, 
that shouldn't be too surprising when you learn that in the Falcons seven wins this year uh, that were all decided by one score or less, the Falcons converted 68% of their red zone trips and in their 10 losses, they converted 41%. Uh, So you're basically in the games that the Falcons played well, they look like one of the best red zone teams in the league and in the games that they lost, they obviously look like one of the worst. Um, And, you know, I think certainly in the second half of the season, had they been a little bit better than what they were and closer to league average, which was about 58% last year, um, you know, I don't know if that would have necessarily resulted in them winning uh, more games, but I certainly think it probably would have changed the narrative uh, that you often heard, at least here on Locked on Falcons from me about this team's inability to look uh, more competitive in some of these losses that, you know, a couple of red zone successful conversions uh, here or there sprinkled throughout the season. And all of a sudden the Falcons aren't losing all these games as much as they did by two scores. Maybe they're losing some of those games by one score. And again, it, we may not sit there and say, Oh, they should have beaten San Francisco. Oh, they should have beaten Buffalo or whoever, but we would have at least said they were able to keep it a lot closer uh, for a larger chunk of the game than they actually did. And so, um, you know, with that being said, like my general thoughts on the Falcons red zone play calling and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have anything profound or, or deep or meaningful in that regard. We'll certainly get into the details more when we talk specifically about how the team utilized Kyle Pitts a little bit later on. But overall, it seemed like to me part of the reason or at least something that didn't necessarily sit right with me, um, you know, not to say it was absolutely a problem, but they they didn't seem to design a ton of plays that were designed to go into the end zone, right? Um, A lot of their red zone stuff, particularly the further out they were, like really until they got inside the five, they weren't really designing throws into the end zone. Um, And, you know, out beyond that, it seemed like it was a lot of underneath stuff, a lot of, you know, curls and outs and crossers and screens and whatnot plays that were kind of designed seemingly to get the ball into the playmakers hands and let them cook after the catch. And we saw obviously early in the season, guys like Patterson, even Mike Davis to a certain extent uh, pretty early in the season uh, have some success doing that, you know, taking some of these simple checkdowns and and shedding multiple tackles uh, and, and scoring on some of those plays. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that week three week through week nine stretch where the Falcons were really efficient and winning a lot of games. Um, you know, it seemed like the majority of those types of plays were being made. So, um, you know, I think when you're not having guys do that, and that seemed to be the issue as we got later into the season, it seemed a lot harder for this team to find the end zone. And uh, we'll sort of circle back a little bit later in the episode to talk about ways that they can improve. Uh, But, you know, speaking of guys not being able to find uh, into the end zone, uh, let's talk about Kyle Pitts and how and why he finished you know, this historic season with just one touchdown. And a lot of that had to do with some red zone struggles. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast, which I thank you guys again for making your first listen each and every day. And I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. And of course, that should be the Locked on Braves podcast where they're hooking you up with the latest on my cousin Freddie and all the things going on with that Braves team this offseason. So go subscribe to the Locked on Braves podcast, part of Locked on Podcast Network, and it's free and available on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked on Falcons, including on YouTube. So while the Falcons are struggling in the red zone, you don't necessarily have to struggle with your wallet when you go to the gas pump with a new app called Get Upside. You can get cash back and save every time you fill up. 
and you basically get cash back every time you put uh, gas in your car, every gallon, you get cash back and there's no catch. It's all free. You download get upside app for free in the app store on Google play. You open up the app, you go to any of the thousands of eligible gas stations around the country and around the world. Uh, and you claim their offer, you fill up, they put money into your account and you can uh, cash out anytime with payments directly into your bank account, PayPal, or you can do what I do, put them on Amazon gift cards. And when you open an account now on get upside and use our special promo code touchdown, you get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free get upside app and use our promo code touchdown. When you sign up, that's get upside promo code touchdown to start saving every time you fill up. So, we know that Kyle Pitts only had one touchdown this year, and that was a touchdown against the Jets in London. Uh, and it's going to be fun to have the joke that, you know, Kyle Pitts has yet to score a touchdown uh, in a Falcons uniform on this continent. Uh, you know, going back to his days at Florida, funny enough, the last touchdown he did score at Florida was in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the SEC championship game a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, I think it'll be funny for someone to pull an Evan Birchfield. Shout out to my my guy, Evan, uh, and, and basically do a, a thing on Twitter or something where it's like, oh, an, another day has, a, 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 you know, the sun has come up once more over the state, uh, over the United States. And, uh, you know, it's been X number of days, 300 and something days since Kyle Pitts has scored a touchdown on American soil and, and keep that going until we get to August or September or whenever he finally gets that touchdown. And, and at that point it'll be in the 600s or something like that. So that would be a fun thing for, for someone to do on Twitter or whatever the case may be. But, uh, Pitts scored one touchdown. He had 14 red zone targets. Um, he only caught four of those passes. That's 29%. And there were 81 receivers in the NFL this past year that had at least 10 or more red zone targets. And that 29% was the third lowest catch rate among those 81 receivers with only the Rams, Van Jefferson and the Lions. I'm sorry, the Giants is Kenny Galladay uh, being lower on that list. Um, and of course, only one of those was converted into a, a touchdown, so a 7% conversion rate, and that was the sixth lowest among that 81 receiver group. And the only players, there were five players that did not uh, score a single touchdown on their um, uh, red zone targets, and that was Cole Beasley, Cole Komet, uh, Daryl Williams, the running back, Ray-Ray McLeod, and Kenny Galladay. So not a great look for Kyle Pitts to, to be in a list with running backs, um, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge Cole Komet guy, uh, in, in five foot eight wide receivers. Right. Uh, so ultimately I think, you know, the, one of the key issues for Pitts getting better is being better at the catch point. I think the other issue for him, um, was poor play design, but let's break down the whole catch point thing by breaking down his targets, right? Seven of his, uh, red zone targets were not throws in the end zone. And again, there were mostly out patterns and flat routes and, and rollouts and stuff and, and curls and pivots and stuff like that. So again, the sort of going back to that general tendency that I talked about earlier, where the Falcons tended to, you know, throw short throws and, and letting guys uh, create after the catch. Now on those seven non end zone targets, uh, three of them, he did catch. Uh, he He dropped another one. Two were uncatchable and one he caught, but he was out of bounds uh, against Washington. So clearly it's not a hands issue uh, when it comes to him, because at least of the five that he could uh, realistically catch, he did snag four of them. If you technically include that one against Washington where his feet were out of bounds, but he did catch the ball. Um, 
which means that the of the remaining 14, seven of them were throws in the end zone, and he only caught one of those, and that was obviously the one that he scored against the Jets. Of those seven in the end zone, five of them were lob or fade type of throws. Two were out patterns. Uh, the one catch was on an out pattern, and the other one on that out pattern, he wasn't necessarily able to win at the catch point where a defensive player was able to contest it. Of the five lobs, two of them were uncatchable, uh, meaning that they were over his head. Uh, two, he lost at the catch point, and one was catchable. It was against the Giants where he was trying to use one hand to box out the defender and the other one to catch the football, and obviously he couldn't reel it in one-handed. I won't necessarily call that a drop because he only got one hand on it, but it certainly was a ball that he could have realistically caught. Uh, so of the five targets in the end zone that were catchable, he only caught one. And so that's why I say Pitts needs to be better at the catch point because you can't go one for five at the catch point, catch point and expect to play at a high level in this league. And um, before we, we continue on that point, I do want to note that there were two other targets uh, that Kyle Pitts didn't technically have because they were counted as throwaways. Um, but there were two other plays that clearly were designed to go to him. Um, and there was a, another lob against the Bucks in the second Bucks matchup where they basically asked him to run a simple hitch into the end zone on a first and goal at the one. Uh, and then they pressure led to a throwaway from Matt Ryan. And on the ensuing second down, they ran a designed rollout to Jake Matthews. Uh, and then on the third and in, in goal at the one, that was the play that drew Doman botched the snap and, and basically ruined what was appeared to be a running play uh, And the Falcons had to settle for three points. And at that point in the game against the bucks, they had an opportunity if they had converted to go up 14 to 13 uh, in the second quarter uh, and, and getting back to the point I made earlier, where it would have looked like, you know, again, not, no one thinks that the Falcons were going to win that game against bucks, but it would have definitely looked like a much more uh, competitive game had the Falcons taken the lead at that point in the game. Um, then the other play was a play against the bills on a third and five. It was sort of an underneath crosser where Matt, Ryan basically threw the ball away to salvage a field goal opportunity. Uh, and so those two plays do sort of fit the pattern uh, that we stated before, uh, but don't officially go into the books as Pitt's targets. But um, going back to the whole point about him at the catch point, you know, it's not a surprise to me that Kyle Pitts kind of struggled in that regard because that was not necessarily a strength of his at Florida. That was something I noted in my scouting report. That was something I noted before the season when we were having conversations about, you know, how much confidence do we have that Matt Ryan is going to have a big year because he doesn't necessarily have that guy like a Julio, like a Roddy, like a Tony Gonzalez, that guy that can consistently be that security blanket and win at the catch point because despite his size and his length, Kyle Pitts wasn't great at the catch point in college. Now, when it came to using that length and that wingspan to make, you know, adjusting to the ball in the air and, and show that body control and, and catch away from his frame, he was great at that. But when it came tight in his frame, when the ball was here and he had a defender draped on his back, you know, he wasn't necessarily as good there. And I think basically to reach his full potential as an NFL player, let alone in the red zone, he's going to have to get better at that. And that's something that there were a number of missed opportunities this season where he wasn't able to make plays on that, some back shoulder throws and, and all those types of things where I feel like Kyle Pitts, if he can start making those plays, you're going to see, you know, basically an unstoppable monster in this league. So again, going back to the point I made earlier this week, when talking about the tight end position, you know, Pitts is just sort of scratching the surface of his potential if he can get better there. But the other factor is, of course, the vanilla play calling. And I said throughout the year, it didn't seem like the Falcons were doing anything creative with Kyle Pitts. And that, to me, was evidenced by 
their heavy reliance on lob plays uh, when it came to designing plays, you know, inside that five yard line when he was asked to go in the end zone. And part of that reason why that's a bad thing, you know, you would think, oh, well, he's, a, he's a big guy, you throw it up and let him go get the football. But like, that's never been a strength of Matt Ryan throughout his NFL career. It's not to say that Matt Ryan can't do those things, but we, we've seen time and time again over the course of Matt Ryan's career that, you know, fades and lobs and those types of throws aren't really his strength. Um, and then the other factor is you just kind of think Arthur Smith would be better than that. Uh, and it just sort of speaks to not necessarily maximizing the talent that he has. And, and to me, that's, you know, the over-reliance on the, the most basic play that you can draw up in the red zone, which is a lob or a fade or whatever you want to call it, uh, to me is a symptom of not necessarily playing to the strengths of his pl- players. And, you know, it's notable because I didn't necessarily do a deep dive on Arthur Smith's red zone offense back in his uh Tennessee days when I was doing a study of his offense, because you you looked at the success that he had. um, And then you basically like a lot of people assumed, okay, well, he's not going to be any worse than Dirk Cutter is. And I just, you know, you watch like 10 plays of the red zone offense. You're like, oh yeah, he's better. I I watched just enough to basically confirm that preconception that I had that he was going to be an automatic upgrade in that regard. So I don't necessarily know if this was symptomatic of, you know, what he did in Tennessee based off of what little I saw, I didn't see this type of, you know, vanilla-ness and whatnot. Um, But, you know, it is a a situation um, where, you know, I feel like he has to be better again, alongside Kyle Pitts. Um, But, you know, again, I don't have as much of a beef with Kyle Pitts not being great in this area, because again, I don't think he was that great in that area in college, but I do expect Arthur Smith to be better um, at that. And so what we're going to do to wrap up today's episode is get into ways that they can get better, uh, which, you know, may be included explosiveness and running the football and improving the offensive line. So we'll get into all of that as we wrap up today's locked on Falcons guys. But before we get there, I want to let you know that Peacock and Williamson are hitting the road to LA for Super Bowl week uh next month and of course make sure you check out nfl analyst brian peacock and former nfl scout matt williamson each and every day on the peacock and williamson nfl show the flagship show here on the lockdown podcast network giving you all the coverage of all the nfl games and all the nfl stories between now and super bowl 56 and of course you can subscribe to peacock and williamson on your preferred podcast platform so getting into the Super Bowl and, and making picks and all that stuff, you know, it's a interesting weekend coming up where you have the conference championship games. And I'm looking at these lines with the Rams being three and a half point favorites over the 49ers, the chiefs being seven point favorites uh, against the Bengals. And I'm not loving these lines because I feel like these underdogs have a much better shot than they're giving. And I don't feel good about betting on two teams that I don't think are going to win the game. So I'm thinking about, you know, maybe going to money line, uh, sort of for an outright winner, or maybe just betting the over unders, uh, with it being 54 for the Chiefs Bengals game and 46 for the Rams 49ers game. And of course, bet online is the best spot, the number one spot for me to get in on that wagering action before the weekend. Of course, it's a new year and there's a new website at betonline.ag. So make sure you sign up today with the promo code locked on and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus 
with your first deposit. And no matter how you bet and whatever sport you're betting on, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, boxing, USC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline where the game starts. So how can the Falcons get better uh, in the red zone? Well, you know, they just got to get better, right? Because there's so many ways that they need to get better that, you know, it's pretty much everything they have to get better at. But, you know, one one way of getting better is getting more opportunities, more bites at the apple doesn't hurt in that regard. And um, they had roughly, when you look at the amount of drives that they had versus how many red zone opportunities they had, they were about league average uh, in that regard. You know, the league average in terms of the percentage of drives that result in a red zone opportunity was 30.6 and the Falcons were 30.5. Um, you know, that's 15th ranked. And you look at several of the teams that were ranked above them, 11 of the top 13 teams in that category in terms of percentage of, uh, you know, drives that result in a red zone trip uh, made the playoffs. And the two that didn't, the Chargers and the Colts, most people think should have made the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, what also stood out doing the research is the link between explosiveness and the Falcons red zone trips. You know, I've kept a record on um, how many, drives that the team has that include 20 plus yard plays, those explosive big plays that you guys know I'm obsessed with. I have that data going back to 2010. Um, and what's notable about the 2021 Falcons is they had 41 drives this year, which were big plays, which was the, tied for the lowest in this 12 year data sample going back to 2010, uh, where they had 41 in that 2010 season as well. So again, that's part of getting more explosive. Uh, but 68% of those drives um, that included a big play, saw the team reach the red zone, uh, which was the highest percentage of this entire 12-year data set. The average over the previous 11 years was 55%. On, on their 132 drives that did not include a 20-plus yard play, only 20% reached the red zone, which was the lowest uh, of the data set going back to at least 2014. Now, the average across the previous years was 22%. So, 22 to 20, you know, it's only slightly below average, but uh, it's notable that, you know, generally speaking in the Dan Quinn era, they were a little bit better uh, than they were this past year when it came to, uh, you know, dinking and dunking and getting into the red zone. But all of that is to say nothing particularly profound. I just found that interesting. And it's just reason number, you know, 413, why the team needs to be a little bit more explosive because it does seem like, you know, they get more opportunities uh, to, to get in the red zone. Um, when they are explosive, but you know, once they get there, how do they get better? And I do think running the football is probably a big factor in this. And it's probably a big factor in why Smith was so successful in Tennessee. I don't think that's a, a you know, a bold claim to make, um, you know, I don't necessarily know exactly where the Falcons and Titans fit league wide uh, comparing their 2021 and 2020 seasons and some of these running metrics. But I did notice uh, looking at the data in terms of, uh, yards per carry on red zone runs. The Falcons ranked fifth in the NFL this past season, which surprised me. Uh, so in, it's probably due to a couple of long runs, like that 19-yard run by Quadriolis and that 17-yard touchdown run by Mike Davis and a couple of others from Cordero Patterson probably skewed the numbers a little bit since probably the majority of red zone runs are like three to five yards. Um, but I did calculate uh, their success rate on those red zone runs and the Falcons were at 52%. And for those of you not familiar with uh, success rate, 50 over 50% is a good success rate. So I was surprised to see that number. Again, I don't necessarily know if that stacks up, uh, how that stacks up league wide, 
but I was surprised to see the Falcons be as efficient as they were running the ball in the red zone. But I did look back at the 2020 Titans for a sake of comparison to sort of see if 52% holds up to what they did. And of course, not to my surprise, the Titans were significantly better. Their red zone rushing success was 62%. And I'll give you two guesses as to what was the cause of why they were much more efficient running the football in the red zone. Uh, you know, maybe it rhymes with steric and, and Dinry. Um, so, you know, when I looked at the Falcons success rate on third and fourth downs on those do or die red zone uh, runs, their success rate fell to 36 percent. Uh, so there's where they really struggled uh, when it came to running in the red zone, when it, it was a do or die, those third and ones, those fourth and ones, et cetera. Uh, and if you take Matt Ryan scrambles out of the equation where he was able to convert a couple of those, it actually falls to 33 percent. And then you just compare that to Derrick Henry um, or Steric Denry, whatever you want to call him. Uh, his third and fourth, you know, down success rate in the red zone was 90% in 2020. Uh, it's just not fair when you <laughs> 90%, like again, 45% is a good red zone. And so, uh, it's a good success rate. And so Derrick Henry is basically twice as good as a good running back would be, uh, in, in general, when it comes to the red zone runs, 90% is crazy to me. Um, so what's interesting is, you know, on first and second down, Derrick Henry's success rate in 2020 was 57%, which is only slightly better than what the combined success rate of Patterson and Davis was, which was 54%. So it does seem like the offensive line where, you know, Derrick Henry certainly adding some value due to his skill set. Uh, but the Falcons offensive line, when it needed a yard in those like third and ones, those third and twos, et cetera, uh, they couldn't get that yard. Uh, but when it was like first and 10 or second and seven or whatever the case may be, they were much more effective in those situations uh, um, than the, the Titans offensive line. And of course, you know, Derrick Henry, I'm sure the Titans offensive line isn't responsible for the 90% success rate on third downs, right? Like, you know, maybe they're, they're responsible for like 50% of it, but the other 40% is all Derrick Henry. So um, I think when we talk about how and why the Falcons can improve in addition to getting better, uh, in terms of their play calling, you know, maybe some of it rests on the offensive line. And to a certain extent, you know, not necessarily when it comes to running the football, but in throwing the football, maybe some of the issues that I had with their play calling, their conservative approach there is due to the offensive line. This has been a, a common talking point here on the Lockdown Falcons for the last several months of how much of the Falcons conservative vanilla-ness is due to Arthur Smith trying to hide um, how bad the, the pass protection is. Right? And again, I didn't chart it with the red zone plays when I went back and watched all the red zone plays, but it did seem notable to me how often Matt Ryan was under fire, under pressure, being hit a, a ton. Um, and again, don't know how how much it was, but it, it just seemed like just observationally that it was it was a bunch. Um, and the 49ers game stood out as probably the most prominent example of a game where the, the offensive line breakdowns really hurt that team uh, in the red zone uh, where there was a couple of easy conversions uh, where the Falcons completely failed to block to hold up for more than like a second uh, in the red zone. Um, so, you know, that may be a cause of why the Falcons were so reliant on some of that underneath stuff. That may be a cause, you know, that underneath stuff in the red zone and, and sort of the check downs and not pushing the ball down the field for large chunks of the season and all that various stuff. So um, while I think, um, Pitts can be better. I think Arthur Smith can be better. It does feel like the red zone success may be linked to the offensive line getting better, just like so much of the offensive success is going to be linked to the offensive line getting better. 
Um, and I, that's why I think it's important that the Falcons can upgrade this offensive line this all season. That's something that Dave Cho, a guest uh, that we had on yesterday's episode, talked about as the second biggest offseason goal slash priority, which is upgrading potentially two of those offensive line spots. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's it's got to be done now. Again, I don't know if I'm not super optimistic that they'll get two, but I do feel like one has to get done. And you guys know which spot I think that should be. And again, it's not to sit here and blame Jalen Mayfield and be like, oh, he's the reason why the red zone offense was bad, or he's the reason why the running game is bad. Or, he's the reason like, it's not to say, you know, as I've said since September, I feel like this team kind of set Jalen Mayfield up to fail. But to me, what's going to be fascinating to watch this off season. Um, and, and to me, not to be melodramatic or anything like that, but we'll go a very, very, very long way um, to assessing the credibility of this new regime is how much emphasis do they put on upgrading that left guard position? Because you go back to what Dave said on the show, he wasn't, he didn't sound particularly optimistic that the team was going to try to upgrade that left guard position, that they were going to do the thing that we hammered Thomas Dimitrov and company so hard for, for buying in on their ability to coach up guys. Jalen Mayfield's their guy, so they'll coach him up and they'll try to replace Hennessy and or Kayla McGarry, which again is a, is a common thing that you see around the league, but I really do hope that this new regime is better than that because, again, you know, to use an example that I've used a couple of times now on the podcast, that's exactly what the Falcons did with Vic Beasley. They doubled down on Vic Beasley multiple times, believing that, oh, we can coach up our guy. He's going to get right back to being that high-level pass rusher, and they were wrong about that, and that had caused a lot of sort of ramifications, and we're still feeling those ripple effects today. That's why the pass rush is such a big need right now uh, because of decisions like that that led to them – going out and overpaying for Dante Fowler and putting this team in a further cap hole and all these various things. Again, not trying to sit here and blame like Vic Beasley's the cause of it, but you know, that decision to, to double down on Vic Beasley, you know, you can make a, a very strong case is a big reason why the Falcons pass rush is so bad as it is today. Uh, again, that's not Vic Beasley's fault. That's Thomas Dimitrov. That's Dan Quinn's fault. Uh, and so I contrast that frequently with Ozzie Newsom, a, a general manager at Terry Fontenot, you know, reportedly looks up to and talk about how they didn't double down on Courtney Upshaw when they made him their top pick in 2012. Um, and he proved his rookie year that he was not going to be the guy to line up next to Terrell Suggs and be that book in, you know, top end pass rusher. They didn't double down on that. They went out the very next offseason, had an opportunity to upgrade that spot. And they went out and signed an all pro in Elvis Dumerville. And it didn't mean that they kicked, you know, Courtney Upshaw to the curb because he continued to have a role on early downs, playing against the run, playing on special teams, all these various things. But when it came to push came to shove, they didn't, you know, trust in their ability. Oh, we're going to coach him up. Right. They went out there. And when you think about Dean Pease's defense, and this was why I was so anti people saying Dean Pease is going to fix it and magically scheme up pressure. Is that when you look at Dean Pease's history as a defensive coordinator, his successful pass rushes, were 2013, 2014, when it was Terrell Suggs, a future Hall of Famer, and Elvis Dumerville, uh, an all-pro, you know, lining up. And it wasn't him scheming pressure in those years when he's had good pass rushes. Uh, so to me, that's a model that the Falcons have to follow. And again, not to sit here and be like, oh, Jalen Mayfield's, you know, the worst human being in the world. None of that stuff, guys. Like, we criticize Jalen Mayfield because he was bad. Right. Like I'm being honest with you, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your butt and say, oh, no, he was actually pretty good. No, I'm not going to do that. Right. I'll leave that to other podcasts and other Falcon fans and other Falcon bloggers and all that very stuff. They can blow smoke up your butt and tell you that Jalen Mayfield was secretly really good. And you just got to you just got to pay attention. No, he was bad. Right. And so the point is, how do you fix the problem? Do you 
sit here and you double down on it and say, oh, we'll coach him up. He's young. We'll figure it out. Or do you sit here and say, let's nip this in the bud and let's solve this problem. And again, I think it's going to have potential ramifications and and that trickle down effect for several areas of this roster, uh, including the red zone, including the run game, including the pass protection, you know? So I sit here and I go like, you got to get this fixed, man. And if you don't, and if you do the the Dimitrov, if you do the thing, well, well, we'll coach up our guy, we'll figure it out. You know, again, it may work out. It may work out, but I'm going to sit here and tell you, I've seen this movie before. Right? <laughs> it does not end well. You know what I'm saying? It does not end well. I've seen this movie before, and, and I, I feel like you're going to be paying that price for years to come simply because, you know, you have this sort of hubris that you can take what was, you know, essentially, again, not to kill Jalen Mayfield, as we often do in this podcast, but was essentially based off of some metrics, a historically bad season and say, Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm like, okay, good luck with that. It's not my job on the line. I'm just, I'm going to be here doing a podcast. So, <laughs> you know, I'm still getting paid regardless. Right. You know, I got them, I got them get upside checks and bet online checks coming. So I'm, I'm going to be all right. But you know, I don't know if Matt Ryan's going to be all right. I don't know if, Arthur Smith's going to be right. I don't know if Terry Fontenot's going to be right. So uh, that's the last point I'll say. You know, again, I was I was going to save that rant for the upcoming offensive line uh, year-end review that would probably do Monday. Uh, but, uh, you know, you kind of heard it now. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll touch upon it again on Monday when we get to it. But uh, to close out the week uh, on Friday, we will do a Q&A in a mailbag. So uh, you guys can submit your questions, whether they're draft-related, roster-related, salary cap-related, whatever the case may be. You just want to, you know, get my advice on, you know, flavors of chicken wings that you should be serving uh, at your Super Bowl party, then, you know, I got those takes too. So whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about on tomorrow's episode. Of course, hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel, uh, all those places. And, uh, you know, after you close out this Locked On Falcons episode, this illustrious episode, might, might as well check out the Locked On Beds podcast for your second listen. If you're not going to check out the Locked On Hawks, the Locked On Braves, or Locked On Bulldogs, or check them all out and then check out Locked On Beds, where handicapping expert Lee Sterling uh, is giving you his daily picks, his ball specialist, his lock of the day. Maybe Lee's got some better advice for this weekend's uh, you know conference championship action over unders, money line, all that various stuff. So uh, check out Locked On Bets, free and available on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked On Falcons. So guys, that will do it for us today. I hope this was an informative look at the Falcons' red zone issues and ways that they can get better. Again, I think a lot of it is linked to the offensive line. It just feels like so much will get better. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, you know, you know me, I don't like being the guy that's like, Oh, you fix this one problem. All your other problems go away. But it does feel like if you can just get competent offensive line play, if you can go from a bottom five offensive line to at least middle of the pack, like it seems like so much of the, what the Falcons wanted to do in 2021 will start to work a lot better for them in 2022. Again, I don't know if that's going to mean all, all of a sudden they're a playoff team, but it's going to certainly feel like a lot of these issues start to go away. I'm going to be that guy. So I guess I am going to be that guy. So there you guys have it. Appreciate it until then.